Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Well, I want to welcome all our listeners today. I think our subject matter is going to be excellent, and we all really need to listen to to our guest. We're going to be talking about stress relief. It seems like the world these days is going upside down. A lot of us don't know what to do. And how in the world do we manage our stress? So we have with us Judy Gauman. Is that correct? Is it how you gammon like backgammon? Oh, gammon. Okay, I like that. <laughs> uh, she's the CEO of Executive Medicine of Texas, and she's the author of five books, including an award-winning um, one called Love, Life, and Lucille. So we will be discussing that book. We'll be talking about stress relief, and welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and I, I really appreciate what you do on this show and, and how you, you bring forward all of these people within their fields and and really hone in on particular topics. And today's topic, of course, being stress, boy, I know we can all relate. No kidding. <laughs> so where would you like to start? <laughs> well, well, I think we can start with what is stress? What happens to the body when we have stress? And then what are some of the implications of it? And then maybe we can move into how do we manage our stress and and how do we live healthier so these things don't happen? Does that sound like a good plan to you? Perfect. All right. So let's let's start with what you know, what is stress? Now, we all know about the fight-or-flight system in our, our bodies and our brains. Say you're out and you see a bear, you suddenly will have a, a dress, uh, just a rush of hormones that will tell you, i got to get out of here, and you know, you're able to run fast, you're able to do things, the body's heart rate goes up, your body temperature goes up, all these things happen. And this is a good and natural response. You want this because it's important for survival, the problem that we have is that now we end up in these constant states of stress. We're in a fight-or-flight mentality all too often. And when we get that way and we have these chemicals being released within our body and we're having adrenaline rushes and our cortisol levels are going up, then we actually are in increasing the inflammation in our body. And, of course, inflammation is good when it's there for a reason, like say you sprain your ankle and your ankle swells and, you know, we need that inflammation. But this chronic inflammation that I'm talking about is where you get a, a state of inflammation within your body, within your cells, and this is what we now know is the root cause of heart disease, cancer, diabetes, you name it. 
we now are pointing the finger back to inflammation, chronic inflammation, on pretty much all of these diseases. Uh, so, yeah. so, so you can kind of see how this happens, right? The the body is we we're supposed to ebb and flow. We're supposed to have states of peacefulness, and then we're supposed to have times where we get stressed. And that, you know, stress can motivate you to do things. But we never want to be in a chronic state of stress, a constant state. You don't want to turn on the TV. You don't want to open your mail. You don't want to have a conversation with somebody. That We've kind of gotten to that point in the last few years, and especially recently, where just normal things that should not cause us stress, you know, going to work or seeing your family members who may not agree with you. <laughs> uh, you know, these are the things that, that you, you used to be able to just handle and blow them off, but now this, the heightened amount of stress involved in, in all of these day-to-day interactions is just really wrecking havoc on everyone. It really is. It really, really is. So let's talk about what in the world do we do? Well, there's a, a couple of, of things, and it sounds so elementary, but there's there's some reasons to each of them. One is we have to get enough sleep, and we underplay the role of sleep in toning down our inflammation, in resetting our brain, and just resetting our bodies as a whole. We've kind of worn this workaholism as a a badge of courage, right? <laughs> like I can work more than you yeah. can work. I don't. I don't yeah. need much sleep. I run on four. <laughs> I mean, you hear these things all uh-huh. the time out of patients, and you're just like, no, no, you really do need sleep. <laughs> so it, it's a matter of getting to bed, but it's also a matter, and probably even more importantly, of how much sleep you get, the quality of that sleep. So we're doing things like we're glued to our phones and our televisions and our computers, and we're letting this blue light in, and we're letting the stress in. And then we lay down like, okay, body, it's time to go to sleep. Well, the body doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, you need to have a routine when it's time to go to sleep, whether that's a warm bath or it's journaling. I'm very big proponent of journaling. We tell all of our patients at Executive Medicine they should be journaling to reduce stress. And, you know, if you have these kind of routines, then it it triggers the body, it triggers in the brain to say, okay, now we're shutting down for the night. And another thing on these screens is we tell people, get off your screens at least two to three hours before you're going to bed. And don't make your phone the last thing you look at or the first, when you go to bed, or the first thing that you look at when you wake up. Big, big, Mm. important rule. That's a tough ask. It is a tough ask. But if you could get used to it and you could tell yourself, my last moments and my first moments are not going to be dictated by my phone, you've won a big battle. You yeah. really have. No, I, I, I get that. Somehow or another, our brains have become wired into these things. Well, that's exactly what they wanted, right? I mean, let's be honest, you know, we were like Pavlov's dogs when the latest iPhone comes out. You know, they, they like that we've become interdependent on these devices, and I'm just as guilty as the next person because it controls our calendar, controls our life. I mean, I couldn't even tell you by memory all my children's, cell phone numbers because they're all just in my phone. Now, granted, I have 10 children, so that's a feat within itself, but 
for, you know, it used to be we memorized everybody's phone number. We could tell you, uh, you know, the pharmacy's phone number and all our friends and, and all these things, but we're dependent so much now on these electronics that I actually have a fear that if we had these electronics shut off for some reason, we'd be so lost that we we wouldn't have yeah. our contacts, we wouldn't have all of our information, we wouldn't know what our calendar is. Um, well, something we I, need to I consider. have a little... Yeah, I have a little secret. Uh, sometimes when I can't get to sleep and I have too much on my mind, what I do is I decide to memorize my most important contacts, their That's phone numbers. That's brilliant. That is a great right. thing to do. So, so, so there I am in, in bed and I just go over and over and over those those phone numbers and the people and those phone numbers. And and now it's pretty cool because if I can't find my phone and I need to, to telephone somebody, you know, I have a regular phone, I know the number. <laughs> I'm so proud well, of myself. <laughs> well, and you're doing so many good things. Not only are you, you know, having an emergency preparedness, but you're activating the part of your brain that is going to help keep you young and keep you healthy. I don't know if you've read my memoir, Love, Life, and Lucille, but Lucille died just shy of her 104th birthday. And up until the time she died, she could rattle off everybody's phone number. She just, that uh-huh. was kind of her thing. She remembered everybody's phone number. And she, you know, she uh-huh. didn't have a smartphone, so probably why she needed to memorize it all. But sure. she did. She had them all memorized, and she kind of, you know, play them out and say, okay, test me. You know, I'd give her somebody uh-huh. and she'd what the phone number was. She was, just want to make sure her brain's working. Yeah, so what you're doing is, is such a good thing. We should all be doing something like that. Oh, I just, one day I just realized what we were just talking about. If I don't have my phone, how am I going to get a hold of anybody? If there's a really huge emergency and I have to, you know, run out of a building or run out of the house, I don't have my phone, what am I going to do? There you go. Now you know what you can do. Well, you know, here's the other thing, too. You think about if you don't have your phone, but you hear all the time of people, their purse gets stolen or something happens. In in preparedness and just you don't ever want to go through that stress. That's extreme stress. But you should have a photocopy of all of the things that are in your wallet. And those, you know, you should keep it somewhere in private. So if in the event you were to lose uh-huh. your purse, your purse is stolen, you can immediately call, you know, your credit cards and all of that. You have access to yeah. all of those numbers. Yeah, no, and that's, that's one thing. That's really great Even idea. doing that, just the, the act of being prepared will mm-hmm. take off stress you didn't even know you had because it's one mm-hmm. less thing that's, that's stuffed in, in your brain. I like to, you know, when we're talking to patients and we're, we're talking um, on our show, Stay Young America, we talk a lot about... Uh, the brain and bandwidth, and there's only so much mental bandwidth that we have each day. So we have to decide how we're going to spend that. And if we worry or we're stressed, it takes up an extreme amount of bandwidth. Think about your computer, right? You maybe have different processes open. Say you just have your email open, and you maybe are on one or two other sites. you got a Word document open. Okay, your computer can handle that. But the second you open up, you know, like, Photoshop, or you open up a, a high-functioning program that takes up more memory and takes up more space, everything slows down. This is exactly what happens to the brain. You know, we can tackle all these little things, but when we get into something stressful, 
um, or big, it's going to slow the brain down. The problem is, is we don't slow down. We have ourselves overbooked, overscheduled, overcommitted. And when we talk about stress reduction, the first thing you need to do is look at your calendar and look at the things that you're involved in and say, does this serve me? And is it serving somebody else? Or is it just busy work? Because a lot of times, 20 to 30% of our calendar and our what we're doing is what we call busy work. We're just doing it. Maybe we're doing it because we've always done it. Maybe we're doing it because we feel we need to do it. We haven't really examined that. Do I need to do this? Or maybe it's, say it's even a club you've been in for a while, but you say, you know, I've been in this club five, six years. Maybe it's run its course. Maybe it's time for me to do something new or just even take a six-month break or a little hiatus to breathe and have a little time to yourself. Mm-hmm. Those are excellent suggestions. They really are. So, so uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was just, just going to ask you, what what do you think is like something in your life that – I know I'm putting you on the spot, but when you look at your calendars or something that you can say, hmm, maybe I could do without this. You know, maybe there's something that you do in your daily routine just because that's the way it's always been done. And maybe now you could think, I could maybe do without that. I would say probably on a weekly basis I take a look at my calendar. And if it's if I just have way too much going on, I'll go and reschedule things. Good for you. Good yeah. for you. That is such a good thing to do. And you don't feel yeah. bad about it, right? <laughs> no, you know, I mean, obviously there's certain things that are priority that you just, you know, you can't. But a lot of times, you know, with the social stuff, you can, you know. Oh, certainly. And no one's going to fault you. If you just say, you know, I think I overscheduled myself. Can, and I want to give you my full, this is how you do it, right? You say, I want to be able to give you my full attention. Or I want us to have a good time when we visit. Can, can we just bump this out a week? I've yet to have somebody say, no, no, I'd rather have you stressed out and, you <laughs> no, know, no, no, no. Between, between busy schedules. No, 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 you've got to keep it. Nobody's ever said that. So, <laughs> and nobody's, nobody's ever been upset either. They're always like, yeah, sure. And, and I, you know, half the time I'd say people say, Gosh, I'm glad you said that because I looked at my schedule and I actually am overbooked too. So uh-huh. I, we're not alone in this. So a lot of people no. have this this same issue. Yeah, absolutely. So what else can we do to reduce our stress? Well, I think we need to look at our nutrition. You know what? You know what are the grocery store must-haves and what are the grocery store must-have nots, and <laughs> and really think about <laughs> you know what. What are we putting in our mouths? Because everything that we're putting in our mouths is affecting us greatly, affecting us on the cellular level. And Mm -hmm. if you are a proponent, if your listeners are proponents of artificial sweeteners, I would say that's the absolute number one thing they need to cut out. There's not a neurologist in town that would see a patient and tell them it's okay to have artificial sweeteners. And if you look around um, the world, the United States was one of the the only places where aspartame was approved, and it went through the FDA three times, and the only way they got it approved is they fired one of the board members and brought in somebody who would approve it. So 
we we know it's a neurotoxin, yet it's in a lot of the drinks people drink. It's in a lot of the foods. Sometimes it's actually in medications, believe it or not, and huh. toothpaste and mouthwash. And so we have to be really mindful of of reading labels and, you know, what am I taking in? So artificial sweeteners, hands down, you know, if you just, if you just had to have some kind of sweetener, honey or stevia are probably your best bets. Um, raw stevia, you don't want a lot of processed stuff, but stay away from the, I call them the pinks and the blues. You know, the, yeah. they never were, you know, they put the, I think it's funny is they put pink and baby blue on the packets because they want them to look so innocent. <laughs> and, and they're, they're not. They, they should be in like red and black, you know, don't, don't eat this. So, uh, but yeah, if you, first of all, get rid of those. And then make sure that you're, you're doing five to seven, five to seven fruits and vegetables. And it doesn't mean, you know, five to seven fruits, um, but a mixture of fruits and vegetables. Berries are good. You know, they're always good for stress reduction because they help clear out the free radicals. So blueberries, raspberries, um, strawberries. The, the, the more color in your diet, the more nutrient-rich it is. So I like to say that you should eat the rainbow. And then, yeah. you know, get rid of things like packaged and processed foods. The, these carbs can actually cause you stress, believe it or not. The things that we think, oh, I'm going to eat this because it gives me comfort, they backfire. You may feel good for a little bit, but in the end, you're going to feel worse. So you think you're yeah. feeding, you know, the the whatever part of your soul that needs the high fat, high sugar, high whatever, but then afterwards you're you're worse off than you would have been. Sometimes it's a matter of training the palate. So okay to have these things sure. every once in a while, but you don't want to have them as a as a response to stress, and you don't want to have them as part of your regular diet. Well, then we can talk about exercise. Exercise is huge, very important. And one of the things that, that people may not realize is how much they're sitting. Sitting is the new smoking, as we've all heard, but it's actually true. The, a body in motion will stay in motion. When we stop actually getting out there and moving around, it doesn't mean you need to do P90X, right? As a matter of fact, we don't usually recommend these kind of programs because that's what keeps the orthos in business. But just, you know, <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's funny. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the brisk walking, uh, it's stretching, Pilates is good, yoga is good. Um, just, but just just a walking alone, get your 10,000 steps a day. I have a, a thing that I started when I turned 50, and it was 10,000 by 10 a.m., 10K by 10 a.m. So try to get 10,000 steps before 10 a.m., and Sometimes when I do that, I can get like 20,000 steps in in a day, and I don't even notice it. When I started, I thought I'm going to die, you know. One day I got like 14,000 steps. I was like, I got 14,000 steps. I think I'm going to have to sleep all day tomorrow. I can't believe it. My feet are killing me. But now I go, oh, I only did 14. Now I want to do 20 because I realize I can get to 20 and above 20, and I'm still alive. So uh, it's amazing when you kind of raise the bar on yourself what you're capable of. Yeah, that's a lot of steps, though. Ten thousand steps by ten in the morning. What are you up at six? <laughs> I I do. I yeah. Actually, that's the key. You got to get out. And I'm in Texas, so you got to get out early. So I'm I'm fortunate that when I walk through the park, there's a gym. So I walk through the park, go to the gym, do my laps, 
do the machines, walk back, and boom, the little Fitbit on my waist buzzes, and I have this moment of, yes, I hit 10,000, you know, on the oh, way back. I, I feel like the rest of the day goes well. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. So let's talk about um, your book. Why did Great. you write it? Um, so the, the, did you say what or when? No, why did you write your oh, book? Oh, why did I write it? Thank you, thank you for yes. the clarification. So sure. Love, Life, and Lu- Lucille is a memoir. And actually how it came about was I was working on a book with uh, two physicians at the practice called Age to Perfection, How to Thrive to 100, Happy, Healthy, and Wise. And I was digging through all of this data and studying the blue zones and interviewing people. And, and then one day it just hit me why don't I just find people that are 100 years old and talk to them and ask them how they got there? And it was just like one of those moments where it was like, duh, you know, go to Uh the real source. And so uh, I had a writing assistant who I put her on this task of finding these centenarians. And when she, when she did, she found Lucille as one of them. There, There were several and they were all fabulous. But, um, Lucille was just amazing. I mean, she was like old Hollywood style, and she was so much fun. And I was trapped in this life of workaholism, like you, you know, third generation workaholic. Didn't even realize how crazy I had allowed it to be. And when I met Lucille, she was in an independent living center, and. You know, her she had a full calendar, being playing like duplicate bridge and all these things. So, but she was kind of missing this part in her life that she felt like she could be doing more. She should be doing more. She had so much life left in her, even at a hundred. And so, when we met, my life slowed down and had a, a lot more meaning because she just instilled so much wisdom in me. And then her life kind of sped up because I had interviewed her for that book. When I went on a book tour, Lucille went with me. I said, you know, you think you can, you know, go out with me? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Texas wants to have a song. She's like, oh, yeah. I mean, she was all about it, right? Before I know it, you know, the, the, the girl's got these glasses and she's, you know, got these outfits and she's, you know, walked into one station. She's like, the talent has arrived. And I'm like, well, who are you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. She just <laughs> came to life in this role of, of rediscovering herself at a hundred, and uh, it was just a one. And she it was, was wonderful. Oh yeah, she oh, was walking, she was running. <laughs> she was she was so fast on her feet, and just yes, she was just amazing. And her memory was incredible. And in the in the the book, Love, Life, and Lucille, I I go through these these outings we have, and this you know wisdom she imparted in these stories, and kind of it tells a little bit about about my life and her life and, and really behind-the-scenes look at, at life in general. One thing that, that really stuck out to me, and I think a lot of people that have read this nationally and internationally have, have picked up on, is that it doesn't matter where you grew up, your socioeconomic background, your race, your generation you grew up in. There are some things in life that are just automatic we there are experiences that we will all have 
We'll know our first, you know, our first love. We'll have our first love. We'll have a loss of some sort. We'll have hopes and we'll have dreams and we'll have hopes and dreams that were crashed. And there's, the human experience is just so beautiful. And just being able to experience and learn from someone who was 100, and she and I were attached to the hip until she died just shy of her 104th birthday. But those almost four years were just incredible. I mean, I'm well-educated, but I think I got a, a much better education just hanging out with, with someone else who shared their life their experiences, you know, I, I like to say this. When people are concerned right now about whatever's going on politically or whatever the things that are happening around us that are causing all this stress, she once said to me, she said, you know, Judy, when I was in, in a young girl, there was all this, this fear and anger and frustration because it was the Great Depression. She came over here in the Great Depression, and she was a nursing student then. And she said, I saw businessmen in the street, and they were in their suit and tie, and they were shoveling because they would take any job. She said, the whole world seemed like it was over, and then it wasn't. She said, and then we'd have a president that people didn't like, and things would be going bad, and there'd be a, you know, a, a uh, an arms or uh, arms to race, uh, race to arms, and there'd be a missile crisis, and there'd be and she'd name all these things, right? And she's like, and then there wasn't, <laughs> and she yeah. really helped me put things in perspective. That every generation, every ten years or so, we think it's the end of the world. We think everything is, you know, gone to hell in the handbasket, and, and you know things are all terrible, and then they're not. So having that perspective that she had lived 100 years plus on this earth and seen it, the ebbs and flow of life, um, it really helps you put it back and say, okay, things may be really bad or rough or horrible right now, but we're resilient and we will get through mm-hmm. this. Hmm. What did um, she attribute her long life to? Well, you know, there's a. It's interesting because there's when I interviewed the people over a hundred, there were some standard answers, and um, you know, they they all exercise things we talk about, right? They all sleep well. Faith was a big uh. one, and they weren't all the same religion, um, but they all mentioned faith um, in in one aspect or another, and just that they didn't feel they had to be in charge of everything. I think was. Um, a big part of all of the people I interviewed. And oh. family was was important. Social life was huge. All these people had a social life. Uh, okay. I, that was probably the biggest. But there was one thing, and, and I since it's the last page of the book, I don't want to give it away, but there I will just no. say this, yeah. that there was one thing that Lucille taught me the first day that I met her, and that proved to be the most important thing to living along and healthy life, and I didn't appreciate it that day, but when you read the book, you'll know why, and yeah. um, probably with a tear, you'll you'll understand, you'll be able to look at your own life and go, yeah, that is that is the most important thing. Yeah. Did she, um, did Lucille have any regrets? You know, um, as, as we talked through things, 
there were, you know, a few things in life that maybe she wished she had done, but that was kind of early in our discussions. You know, I wish I would have been able to do this or been able to do that. And But mm-hmm. but then as she kind of re, um, reimagined her life and was doing all these really cool things, uh, I'll give you an example. One thing, she, she hated to fly. I didn't know she hated to fly. I had her flying around with me. I didn't know she had this fear of flying. And then later it came out that, yeah, I've got this fear of flying, so I'm going to go up in this biplane. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, back up. <laughs> you know, you, you've been what? flying. Yeah, I didn't want to tell you that I was afraid. So she actually went in an open cockpit uh, biplane because she said, I'm not going to die with a fear. I want to to just feel like I've lived it all. And she oh went God. up in this biplane, and she came down, and she was just – on cloud nine, you know, metaphorically and physically, but but she she came down and she was just like, I want to go back up. I I can't believe that I had this fear and it was like the the best experience. Now, funny thing is, is she wore high heels to go jump in that biplane, and I, I was like, Why are you in high heels? She's like, Because a girl's got to look good. Oh my so god! It was funny that she was climbing up the wing of this plane to climb in, and she was in high heels. I tell you, well, that had to be a wonderful, wonderful experience. It, it, it was. You know, we uh, Suzanne Summers yeah. wrote the foreword to the to the book, and there's a, a great chapter in there about when Lucille and I were uh, with Suzanne. We did a, a something together with her in Fort Worth called um, uh, Stay Young at the Bath, an evening with Suzanne Summers. And so we had three acts, and the doctors and I were one of them. We did the show from the stage, and Lucille was our <laughs> guest. And Lucille stole the show. Like, even Suzanne oh. later is like, I, like, you totally showed me up. <laughs> it, was, it, it became like this joke that, you know, everyone came to see Suzanne Summers, and everybody left happy they saw Lucille. So... <laughs> <laughs> It, it really was funny. I mean, people were asking for Lucille's autograph, and can we get your our picture with you? And it was just this like <laughs> wonderful moment. And then when 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 Lucille died, I actually in one of her purses she had this picture that Suzanne had sent to her, the two of them together. And you know, it of course had been worn because she showed it to everybody. You know, oh, yeah, you know, sure. with Suzanne Summers, and she pull it out, and and it, you know, it's just like, uh, and she became a real celebrity at the uh-huh. um, at the the home where she was at. You know, everyone's like, you know, oh Judy, are you guys going to be on TV? Are you going to do radio today? <laughs> Oh, cute. It, was, it was like she might as well have had a crown on her head, and she was royalty within the place. It was just the best four years ever. Oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. I can hear you smiling. I am smiling. I, I can't tell these stories without smiling. You know, people write to me that have read the book, and they're like, I smiled, I laughed, I cried all over the book. <laughs> you know, I got so yeah. mad at one part, I, I threw it across the room. You know, there's, like, all these emotions that are just going to, like, come out. and But then I promise in the end it's so worth every one of those emotions. Ah, So where can people get your book? Yeah, it's an all bookseller. So um, if you go to like Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Love, Life, and Lucille, and uh, of course Judy Gammon, last name is G A M A N. 
But um, yeah, you can get it online. I do ask if you if you read it, leave a review. It's it's lovely when these reviews are, are written because that helps with the algorithm. It keeps it in front of readers, and um, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it, it's so awesome. You know, they can also. This is kind of fun to do. A lot of people have have gone to the site lovelifelucille.com, just lovelifelucille.com, and they can see videos of her and I together and some of the interviews she did with the media, and and it's it's just fun to watch her, you know, and, and some people say, mm-hmm. I'm going to read the book first because I want to get a visual in my head of what I think she's like, and then they go and they watch the videos, they're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I thought she would be like. <laughs> like to a T, I have yet to have somebody say, oh, I didn't picture her like that at all. They're all like, that's exactly what she was. It was weird that they had already envisioned her just like that. Oh, that's just so terrific. Well, thank you, Judy Gammon, for coming on today. You well, it's been my great, pleasure. Thank some you. great wisdom. And I encourage all my listeners to go get the book, Love, Life, and Lucille. So is there any lasting words you'd like to say? You know, I just, I just want to say, you know, the topic today was stress. And if, if we really want to you know, de-stress, we've got to remember to laugh. You know, we ended this show with some laughter and some smiles. And no matter what's going on in your life and what's going on in the world, don't forget to laugh. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, take care. Continue your wonderful work. Thank you and, so much. Uh, and you take care and you keep doing this show. I think it's fabulous. And, and I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening in. We will uh, have you listen in again next Wednesday if you can. Until then, please be well. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at KnowledgeWorksPub.com. Be sure to visit GotCancerNowWhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? <laughs>